Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Real Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now, we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into the Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to therealrescue.com, click on Sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Access. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Versalips, to be your best, you need to squat your best. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG wireless ICS system can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircraft worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com 
mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. And Versalist. When you're at the gym working on your squats, building your leg strength for the next rescue mission, depth matters. If you're like me, getting below parallel on your squats is tough. Well, allow me to introduce Versalifts Heel Inserts. These gems have become one of my new favorite accessories in my gym bag. Simply place them into your regular training shoe, either on top or underneath the insole, and bam! You've got a heel lift benefit of a weightlifting shoe, but the comfort and flexibility of your regular trainer. So the next time your workout just has heavy squats, grab your V2 strength inserts. Or how about a run, pull up, push up, air squat, and another run? Grab your V2 endurance insert. Or my own personal workout of running, clusters, and ring muscle up. Grab your original V2 inserts and go crush it. Check them out today at vlifts.com or on Instagram at Versalift. And when you're ready to get a few pair of your own, make sure you get your 10% off with the Real Rescue discount code. Squat well, friends. Coming up next, we've got another U.S. Coast Guard rescue swimmer brother. His stories, yet again, do not disappoint. We go over about five cases uh, out of his career that he's done. And the greatest part about it is we have an amazing debrief afterwards. You know, these are big rescues that were impactful to him. And he was here to share his story, really dive deep into those stories. We had an amazing debrief with a lot of them. Uh, so... I hope you guys enjoy and learn a couple lessons from it. So please welcome our next guest, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 646, Mr. Bradley Bagage. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Uh, today, I've got another brother with me. I'm so pumped, dude. I love it when Coast Guard swimmers come on, man. It's just, ah, man, I love the stories. I love the, the brotherhood. It's just everything about it. It's something special, man. It really is. So today, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 646, Mr. Bradley Bagage. What's up, dude? What's going on, Quinny? How you doing, brother? Dude, I am fantastic. And uh, you and I have some stories to talk about. It's We got some good excited. ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, as I was reading all your stuff, I'm like, this is going to be a long episode. And it's going to be totally worth it. <laughs> it could be. It could be. If I'm dragging on, just tell me to wrap it up. But uh, yeah, we'll get some good information out there. No way. I, I want to hear like every fine detail, man. This is this is why I do this. I live vicariously through everybody, man. It's <laughs> It's awesome. So, well, I'll tell you what, man, before we get going too far, if you don't mind, give a little background about who you are, where you're from, and how you became a Coast Guard rescue swimmer. Yeah, I'm uh, Brad Bagash, uh, rescue swimmer number 646. I uh, graduated AST school back in 2005. Uh, before that, I was on the Coast Guard Cutter Diligence out of Wilmington, North Carolina, and joined the Coast Guard in 2002. So I was on there for just over two years, kind of waiting for school. Uh, but before that, my, my journey kind of led me in. My, my dad was a Coast Guard pilot, uh, and he was, he was a Navy guy first, and then oh, to the Coast Guard. Yeah, 
so he flew, he was a fixed wing guy. So flew the C-130 Gulfstream. And then he actually taught at ATC Mobile right for retirement on the Falcon. Uh, so then I was born in Mobile uh, only three years before his retirement date. And then he got on with the airlines after that. Uh, fast forward a few years, my older brother went in the Coast Guard uh, and he just did four years. And then he got out, he went in in 96 and got out in 2000. So right, right before I was about to graduate high school. And he kind of told me, he said, Brad, you don't know what you want to do after high school. You know, he's like, Coast Guards, it's been pretty cool to me, man. It's, it's, it's been a fun time. He learned so much. He only stayed in for four years, you know, but uh, it gave him a ton of experience and he did kind of the, the more law enforcement thing. And so he, uh, he's a police officer now. So he used all that experience he got in the Coast Guard awesome. and, and kept continuing going. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much how it started it was, Hey, you don't know what you, what you want to do after high school and Coast Guard's a, a good bet. So I had no idea what I wanted to do in there. Uh, I looked at, I think I looked at pretty much every rate, um, when I went to the boat, uh, of course, I was looking at all the the boat rates on there, BM, um, MK, HS, just anything really. And then we had a 65 come land on the back of our boat. And uh, we had uh, a pilot there that started telling me all about the AST rating and stuff. And, and I started to get pretty pumped up about it. And I had swam growing up, played sports, all that stuff. So swimming was no stranger to me. And and I was just a small guy, still am. <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of like, I was like, ah, whatever. I, I had this like image of swimmers being, you know, these six foot five <laughs> muscle dudes, you know? And I was like, there's no way Hell. I would actually make it through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then this pilot was like, no, dude, like it's actually the small ones I see that are like in shape that make it through. He's like, muscle, muscle don't float, man. Muscle sinks. So nope uh yeah <laughs> so i was like all right well you know I, I started training put my name on the list and uh had to had to do like an ads fab one of the single ASVAB test scores over again to get that higher and then uh yeah i got accepted to the airman program in elizabeth city so got off the boat and uh went there and did my four months in east city and then went to school right from there and then got stationed right there for my first station so that's kind of awesome. how my my journey led me into the coast guard right there that's cool, man. I like that. It's good yeah. stuff. Was dad upset you weren't a pilot? Just going to ask, you know, like. No, I think he was pretty pumped. <laughs> at, least, at least I went the aviation route. Um, yeah, he was yeah, just yeah. pumped that I went in the went in the Coast Guard, you know, because he was telling me, I, I mentioned, I think like the Marines or Army or something. And, and you could tell he got real like, oh, it's like, uh, oh I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Like, like you're going to be, <laughs> Sorry gonna be to shot at. Sorry to everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I think this was right after, you know, 9-11 happened in, in 01. So when I came in in 02, I think he, he knew that if I put Marines or Army, I, I'd be gone and I'd be overseas. So oh, yeah. he, he knew that the Coast Guard was, was a real good bet for me. And, and yeah, it was, it's been awesome. Cool. Awesome career so far. So yeah, because you, you've been in for, uh, you just actually mentioned to me, like 20 years. You just hit 20 years in the Coast Guard. Yep. So join, yeah, July of 02. So July, last July, I hit uh, 20 years. It's crazy. It's Dang flown man. by, man. Like a it's blink. absolutely flown by. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> each each tour, you know, it's like, I don't know. You look back at it when you transfer your new unit, you're like, man, I don't even remember what happened. You know, you remember like the friends you made and a couple cases, but you're like, dude, that flew by four years. 
I, and you think back to like high school and high school was like an eternity, right? Yeah. And you, when oh, you think yeah. of like the four years you spent in high school and you're like, man, and to think like, oh, I did four years in, in Houston or North Bend. And it's like, man, I don't even remember hardly anything anymore. <laughs> it's oh my gosh. I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. Well, congratulations on hitting 20. So that means uh, you're either A, going to test up or B, retire. Oh, you know what? Yes, We're not telling man. anybody what you're going to do. Keep that on the down. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> yeah. So I'll tell you what, man. If, uh, if Do you remember your very first rescue when you got to city I do. Yeah. Ooh. I do. All right. What do you got? So it was an easy one. Super easy. And it was probably the best case to start out on. Uh, bright, sunny day. I think it happened kind of right when... It was springtime, so it took me a little bit to get qualified. Um, got there, I think in like, yeah, July or August reported. And so we went through Hurricane Katrina in September. Uh, so the whole air station was, you know, gone. everybody was gone. Yeah, yeah, there was no help. Every time I tried to go to someone and for sign And you weren't qualified like, yet. I hadn't been to EMT school. Uh, I didn't go to EMT school until uh, October. I think so September, whatever hit, I think we just had our, or about to have our anniversary, I think of, of Katrina. And um, yeah, I just sat and watched everybody do work and I turned around planes and, and inspected Aussie gear and stuff. And I was just completely FOMO. And uh, it, it, I was glad I was there to help out, but you to see those guys get back and tell the stories that they had. I was, man, I wish I was there. They thought about oh. sending me. They were like, well, we could at least use you to be able to hoist down and, and get people. And then like we put you with another swimmer and to be able to do EMT stuff. So, um, but that didn't happen. So anyway, so then the holidays happened, went in, still getting stuff signed off, getting my flights, flights done and stuff. But so, yeah, it was around, I think like March or something. Uh, I had, I'd gone to Ahars, I think in February. That's advanced uh, rescue swimmer yep. school. Um, yeah, back then it was advanced air crew. What do they call so it? So ba back then it was advanced rescue swimmer school. So it was like ARS, and now it's AHARS, so advanced helicopter rescue school. So it's open right to, you know, that we're not just pinpointing rescue swimmers. It's not just rescue swimmer training. It's for pilots. It's for flight mechanics. Everybody. Awesome. So, um, and I highly so, yeah. recommend anybody go to that training. It is unbelievable 100 yeah, percent. yeah, yeah. Best and that's in the Coast Guard right there oh hun, it is amazing and that's for all air crew positions because there's stuff you see there and you're gonna do that is nothing like you've ever yeah. seen or done before and, and big waves and, breakers caves cliffs yeah, yeah. and oh, urban and so. inland now we added that just uh this Perfect. past year so yeah oh, we're adding all of it so so yeah my first case uh it was a catamaran it was one of the little tiny ones you could rent i guess and it was two people and it capsized about seven miles off the coast of was it the outer banks out there either kitty hawk or something and uh one of the ocean rescue guys had already gone out seven miles and picked up the lady off there uh and then brought her back so we only had one more guy to pick up and so the water temp was still chilly. I was in a dry suit and he was just in board shorts, no shirt, just a life jacket, you know, and uh, the water temp was still, yeah, I'd say in the, in the fifties, it was just the first day where it was like high seventies, eighties, you know, springtime. So we couldn't hoist them directly off the catamaran. 
So I had to get them in the water. Um, so it, it would have been the perfect case to do a free fall on and I opted to not do a free fall and I'm still to this day I've never free fall oh, on a case before <laughs> and I was like that would have been like it was like a perfectly you know sunny day like hardly any seas out there a little bit of wind you know and I think that's what what capsized them but uh yeah it'd have been perfect but uh yeah I did a harness down swam up and and he was like yeah I'm fine just the jet ski picked up my wife I just need to go back so I'm like all right well I'm gonna get you in the water it's gonna be cold and got him in i just remember him letting off a ah, ah. <laughs> and it just took all of his breath away and, and then i was like oh, i felt bad probably uh yeah he's he's cold he's cold as shit right now so told him away for like a minute <laughs> yeah for like a minute told him away from the boat put him in the basket went up took me up and then we just took him yeah to like the local hospital right there in outer banks and it was super easy dude super easy but it was cool i like just something to break me in and um and thankfully it wasn't like a horrific case and just something good good little learning experience but yeah the dude was stoked he's just cold <laughs> and i felt i felt pretty good after it so it's like man, man gotta, that's gotta, awesome the first one done yeah. what a great first case too it, it like it's relatively easy it's everything you train for you know you swim out yeah. hey sir are you all right I need to get and, and, and i don't think here. i I don't think I yelled at him like they taught us in high school, you know. <laughs> no, no conversation. Hey, yeah, how yeah, you yeah. Doing? hey, <laughs> hey. Yeah, I'm gonna I get you in this fifty-degree water here. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, right couldn't ask for a better one. The only thing I changed was I would, uh, I would have free fall, made it look cooler, you know. But that's it. Yeah. Well, you know what? Next time. Uh -huh. Next time. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, well, thanks for sharing that, man. Um. Uh, yeah. so we have so you've had uh actually a pretty nice career as far as cases that you've had and you've been recognized for quite a few and and i'd like to touch on uh the next four that mm -hmm. actually earned you a few awards as well yeah. um so and uh, what i'm going to do is i'm going to start with the i'm going to call it the easiest and then graduate and go a little harder so we're going to go out of order based on where you were stationed and timeline wise Okay. But um, the way the, the cases are, we're just going to get a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder. And then you give us a rundown of each one of them. Is that cool with you? Sounds good, man. Let's do it. All right. I dig it. I dig it. So the first one I want to start with um, is out of Kodiak, Alaska. And here is the write-up. Citation to accompany the award of the Coast Guard Achievement Medal. Gold star in lieu of second to Bradley A. Pagage. Aviation Survival Technician, First Class, United States Coast Guard. Pagaj is cited for superior performance of duty while serving as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard Helicopter 6004 on 10 November 2018. While on duty, Pagaj received word that two hunters were in distress in the vicinity of Japanese Bay, located on the southwest portion of Kodiak Island. With gale force winds and driving rain present, the hunters lost their tent and survival gear to the elements and were subjected to hypothermia. Launching into the nighttime environment with known low-level wind shear and severe turbulence at the destination, Pedestrian 
monitored the aircraft parameters and backed up the pilots by utilizing the infrared camera as they transitioned in plus 65 mile an hour winds and poor visibility. Once on scene, severe mechanical turbulence existed at the only suitable confined landing site as the Coast Guard Rescue Helicopter navigated a small cove with spilling winds that pronounce visible cat's paws. Pedestrian Bagage located the survivors with the infrared camera and confirmed the condition of the landing zone as the crew used transient torque limits to make the landing and takeoff. While on deck, Pedestrian Bagage assessed the survivors and helped them to the aircraft in gale force winds and heavy rain. Transitioning back to Kodiak, Pedestrian Bagage treated the survivors for hypothermia as the crew successfully battled an electrical fire during the low visibility approach. What? This case resulted in two lives saved. Pedestrian Bagage, diligence, perseverance, and devotion to duty are most heartily committed in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Dude, <laughs> what? All right. So if that was an easy case, my goodness, what the heck? Yeah. Electrical fire? What? All right, all right, all right. So, all right. Let's back yeah. up, let's back up, yeah. You uh, guys get launched, go. So yeah, we we got word, and it was off a, a Garmin inReach, I believe, was how they made the call uh, to us, that they were out on their daily hunt and basically came back. It was, the weather was snot came back and their their tent and all the stuff that were in their tent, survival gear, all that stuff, whatever they didn't have just on their backs was gone. Blown away in the wind. Um, and so all they had was their Delorme and a little, uh, you know, their rifles, whatever they had in their packs, not much, probably limited food. And I think they were supposed to be out there for another three days. So we got the call, came in there. Um, with the mountains in that cove area, I'm Japanese, Japanese Bay, I think it was, um, the winds were coming from every single direction. We were seeing gusts up to, yeah, 65, 70 miles an hour coming down. The cat's paws is what you look for, especially, uh, when you are coming into like a cove and you, and you have high mountains on the side. So that's where you can kind of see where that, that wind shear is coming over the cliff, um, and seeing where those downdrafts are going to be the worst. Um, so, so cat's we, paws for for all of us out there is it's mm -hmm. like a big long stock with a little brown knob on the top and they they're like kind of top heavy so they have a really nice uh bow back and forth and you really watch a nice wind line when whenever that's happening so so that's that's also a cat's paw but it's also referred to as what the water does when you can oh, see it in in so the water way off. In that case, <laughs> let's back this up brad Brad, wait a minute. What the heck is a cat's paw? Like, what, what are we talking about here? <laughs> so it's a it's an indicator on the surface of the the ocean right there that you can see where that wind shear is coming off uh, a mountaintop or a hillside or something. And when it hits the water, it makes these these um, creations of of waves on the surface, and and you'd be able to tell, hey, that's where it's that's where that downdraft is going to be the worst right there so i don't know who named it cast pause but that's that's what the the term is for on the the top of the water right there to kind of well, tell holy buckets i just you're heard thinking, something new I don't, today i don't know <laughs> yeah you're thinking of probably i know what you're thinking of those little uh things you see yeah. at the beach 
That those, those little hot dogs. Yeah. Little hot, little hot dogs floating. Yeah, no, that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> you know what? Thank you for clarifying. No worries, man. I'm here for you. So thank you. But yeah, so there was cat's paws all over the place. The hot dog ones and the water ones, uh, all in this cove. <laughs> and uh, so I'm I'm up on the fleer and start searching around from where they said they're going to be. We find them, find them waving. Uh, uh, on the, the infrared camera. So we start thinking of how we can get down there. Hoisting was absolutely not happening. Uh, there was absolutely no way we would have been able to hoist with those downdrafts. As soon as we would have come down in altitude, we would have had zero, and this is an MH-62, we would have had not enough power to do so. Um, and we would have ended up in the water somewhere. So we had to find a confined area landing zone and put it down quick. And so we did find one probably about 50 yards from where they were at, uh, found a little spot, right? I think we had one wheel in the water. We were so close to the water's edge right there. Cause otherwise you're, you have sheer mountains and you have trees and everything. So you had to kind of find something, uh, to land on. So we landed and basically I walked out, got help them, you know, pack up all their stuff, um, uh, it, it was easy on the ground. It was just the flying. This is more of kind of like a pilot's case. Uh, my job, once I was on the ground, was pretty easy. But things got interesting once we took back off. So we were heading out there around, uh, it was probably around 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. The sun was going down. Right when we were pretty much packing their last bit of gear in the cabin was when night fell. And we had to get out of this cove now uh, with all these downdrafts and winds coming from all different directions um so i remember the pilot had an idea of like hey i'm gonna, I'm gonna lift up right here put the nose in the into this section of the wind but then i'm gonna have to kind of flip the tail around dip the nose get enough airspeed to get out of this uh cove area safely and so we we lifted up we start getting shook around like crazy all over the place um we gain enough altitude. We do what we say. You flip the, the tail around, I think putting it into like a crosswind or even a tailwind to then try to get enough airspeed to get out of there. Uh, all I remember from the pilot, and it's funny, I was, I just flew with him the other day. He's at ATC Mobile and we, we kind of were talking about this. And I just remember him saying like airspeed, 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 because we were, you know, when you have to take a tailwind, you don't have any airspeed, you're going straight down, you know, you don't have any lift anymore. So he just said, keep your airspeed up, airspeed, airspeed, airspeed. And we dipped that nose and we were almost looking straight down at the water and just beat feet out of there as safely as we could. But that's probably the most turbulence I've ever felt inside of 60 because they were all those downdrafts were just coming from every which way. And it was nuts. So we got out of there safely. Uh, and little did we know that that was only like the less interesting part of the flight, I guess you could call it. So, so we're flying straight and level home. It was probably another, uh, 25, 30 minute flight home, uh, probably about 20 minutes, 15 minutes before we're about to round, round the bend for Kodiak there, uh, city. There's two huge bolts of look like lightning um flashes coming up from the cabin or from the from the cockpit right there um and then i was on the uir looking out for visibility purposes 
and I lost my EIR, the radar went out up front, uh, a bunch of other associated equipment went off and, but it was the wind, windshield anti-ice went out and every we, we lost yeah, a bunch there's... of stuff. So the flight mech goes up and we still have the, the two patients sitting right there. Um, he grabs the fire extinguisher, goes up in between the avionics rack and the, and the pump right there and in, in between the 60. And so he's kind of staging out with the fire extinguisher right there. Uh, I'm trying to calm the patients and people telling them, Hey, this is, this is normal. We're good. You know, and it's, you okay. Guys okay? it's okay. It's only yeah. a fire in the helicopter. It's totally yeah. cool. <laughs> so, and then the, the pilot who's the flying pilot. So we didn't have any anti-ice anymore, which, which helps with the fogging of the windshield. Uh, so it's nighttime. Now, all of a sudden the windshield fogs up and we think we went inadvertent because he just doesn't know he's up on the NVGs and all of a sudden he can't see. So he, he announces we went inadvertent IMC, which is basically you go into the clouds unexpectedly, you know, it's not planned. And we were like, great, what else can we, you know, and we didn't have a radar, you know, next so we can't pull up that see what kind of obstacles are ahead of us if we're about to head straight into a terrain or anything. So we know we're offshore. We know to the right of us is, is clear. So we peel more offshore and straighten level and file out there. Uh, so we figured out, we ended up, I threw up, I had a, a beanie in my helmet bag and I threw it up front because then we found out that it was the windshield. So basically the, the pilot, the co-pilot in the left seat is flying with the pilot uh, wiping his windshield every every five to ten seconds to make sure that he can still see, uh, we declared oh uh, in we declared an in-flight emergency. So they brought all the the fire trucks out to the landing pad, everything. We eventually bring back on the co-pilot side uh, anti-ice because it was it was the pilot side that had the two flashes, and we brought his on to see if it would work and it did. So the, the windshield started getting better, but yeah. And then we just navigated VMC conditions, trying to get back to Kodiak and we, we landed and was like, holy crud, like that was intense. Not only with, you know, the wind, we had to battle all the uh, stuff inside the cove and then coming home thinking, no, oh, we're, we're sitting, sitting real, real good right now, straight and level heading back to Kodiak's gonna be a good night. And then bam, bam, two flashes, everything goes out. It's like, nope, we're still, we're still in it. Uh, so yeah, we, we landed, crash crews came to us and we were good, but we actually, the flight mech and I, we were talking and we pretty much said, we're like, man, we don't like, we're, we're good for tonight. You know, we can't imagine getting called out for another case after going through all that. And Kodiak had backup crews on standby every, yeah. every duty night. So we told the pilots, we were like, hey, like we're we're good, but do you think like we can call the backup crews in? You know, like I think I think I'm good tonight, you know. <laughs> and wow. they're like, Yeah, we we agree. So yeah, use them if you have them, you know what I mean? Like, why put yourself through that again if super smart, man? That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, we ended up getting relieved that night and I I went home and uh yeah you're probably the same way you, you tell your wife like hey yeah like she was like why are you home and i was like ah we had we had a case and she's like everything go okay i was like 
you know, it went out, it went all right. We got the guys, you know. He's like, well, what happened? Why are you home? I was like, oh, we had a couple things go wrong. And, you know, without getting into too much detail, you you tell them, but. Yeah. Until so now, I, I, and she listens to this. And she's yeah, like, yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I tell her pretty much everything. It's just sometimes, you know, you, you, you can wait a couple days before you get into the new oh, yeah? stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Dang, so, man. Wow, what a so, what a what a wild ride. Holy Yeah, smoke. and so I wanted to bring that one up just because that Kodiak, I mean, you know, if you've been up there, it's it can be like that on just a normal night, you know, like a Tuesday night. There's no like winter storm warning or hurricanes or anything like that. They don't call them hurricanes up there. They just call them like a Tuesday night. So if yeah. you ever look at the the weather radar for up there in like the Gulf of Alaska and stuff, I mean, there's systems out there that look like hurricanes uh and it it's pretty normal to get 70 80 mile an hour winds up there and they just don't call them that it's just a normal night so yeah. that was kind of one of those nights where we knew hey it's pretty nasty out there pretty snotty and and then you mix that with going into uh a bit like a bay area a confined yeah. area it's like it's a recipe for for some hard flying for sure but the pilots did amazing. That's they kept it, kept it out of the water that night, which is all I could ask for. <laughs> Holy cow, man! I I really like the fact that uh, when they when he called inadvertent IMC, he knew to the right uh, that there was open water, and so you're turning mm -hmm. to the right. I love that, and I yeah. I recommend that to everybody. You know, and you got to. Now there's there's always the caveat of oh what if there's an island what if there's this what if there's that is it always clear mm -hmm. like the last picture you saw you know you're flying forward so you have this good like view in front of you so you have an mm -hmm. idea based on what you just saw it's like changing lanes in the car you're like oh look I've got an area it's clear and you're yep. you're changing get out of the way of anything and then reevaluate where you're at what you can do and get home safely <laughs> yeah. You're always wow. evaluating your your ORM, you know, and you're always talking about it. Because, you, I mean, you talk about inadvertent IMC in your your brief in the beginning. And if you know you're going to be hoisting in a specific area, you say, all right, you know, uh, if we go inadvertent IMC, we'll climb to, you know, 1,000 feet, we'll turn west and we'll head offshore. But if you're going to an unknown area, you know, it's always constantly changing. So and that's an, that was real important for them to know at that moment, hey, I know that we're clear off this because we could have briefed something different in the beginning, you know, but yeah, but yeah, great, great flying, great pilots up there, the best of us. Dude, that is <laughs> awesome. Oh, man, thank you for sharing that one. All right, let's let's keep yeah. it going because because that, that, you, you got me all riled up now. I'm ready to rock. <laughs> all right. So the next one I'm going to bring up is out of Houston. And this is uh, this is uh, let's see if we're going to get we got, or you earned yourself a Coast Guard Accommodation Medal here. Um, in addition to that, with this case, you and your crew earned the uh, NHA, the Naval Helicopter Association Region Award, or for the for everyone? For the region, yeah. So we nice. were down there in that, that Gulf District area. Uh, so yeah, Air Crew of the Year for that one, which is awesome. Which is awesome. So mad props to you and your crew. And, and I'll tell you what, let, let's get right into this award that uh, that you earned yourself here. <laughs> Citation to accompany the award of the Coast Guard Accommodation Medal. 
Gold Star in lieu of second. Two, Bradley A. Pagage, Aviation Survival Technician, third class, United States Coast Guard. Pedro Pagage decided for outstanding achievement while serving as rescue swimmer aboard the H-65-6561 on 15 December 2009. As part of the crew on board the rescue helicopter, Pedro Pagage was launched to investigate an emergency beacon registered on a 32-foot sailing vessel Enchantress, 120 miles south of Sabine Pass, Texas. The Enchantress was last seen departing Houston 10 days prior with a lone 80-year-old male on board. Arriving on scene after transiting through 120 miles of thunderstorms and lightning, Pedestal Prakash expertly assessed the hoisting platform and obstacles and provided valuable input to the risk management decisions. The weather continued to worsen as he deployed to the water, battling wind gusts excess of 50 knots, eight-foot seas, and half-mile visibility to find a single elderly sailor suffering from conditions that left him unable to tend for himself. Without means to communicate, with the rescue helicopter due to poor radio reception while clutching to the heaving vessel, Petty Officer Bagage determined the survivor was unable to depart the vessel without assistance and managed to pull himself over a five-foot gunnel to get himself on board. Understanding the rescue helicopter was dangerously low on fuel, he swiftly readied the survivor and quickly lowered him into the water for a hoist. Shortly after the survivor was hoisted into the basket, Petty Officer Bagage was immediately recovered while lightning was striking the water within 200 yards of his position. Once on board the rescue helicopter, he assessed and, and cared for the elderly survivor who was suffering from both hypothermia and a concussion as a result of being trapped aboard his disabled vessel. Pedestal Bagage, patient care continued as he kept the patient stable on two separate oil rigs while the helicopter refueled for the return trip. Pedestal Bagage, medical training was invaluable in providing input for the following care and transfer of the survivor to the EMS personnel. His actions directly contributed to the saving of this sailor's life. Pedestal Bagage, dedication, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. <laughs> God, dude, I freaking love this stuff. I love these write-ups. All right, brother. <laughs> pew, pew, oh, pew, 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 yeah, pew, yeah. All right, launch the ready halo for a pew, 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 pew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So this one's a good one, dude, just because there was a lot that didn't get written into that that specific award. So I said we, we did the NHA Air Crew a year award, and I'll get into why we got that. Uh, so, yes, this EPER was going off. This 80-year-old dude who I won't get into why he was out there or if he should have been out there or nothing, but uh, he was out there. And I think we had heard later on, I don't know, with his EPER going off, I think his family was contacted too. And they said, oh, we didn't even think he was serious. He told us like 10 days ago that he was trying to sail, that he was going to sail to Mexico. And they, like he he didn't he that's wasn't awesome. He wasn't all ha going on up there, you know. That's but, not uh, awesome. 
Yeah. So anyways, so his EPIRB's going off. Uh, we get out there. We find the vessel. We're coming up on the radio. So and, and I'll backtrack just a tad because the NHA write-up award has us. So we we lost all uh, uh, fuel calculations heading out there. And the Do thing I need about to read that one too? we can get we can get into it um, all right here, here in a second. So so the thing about Houston and being on 65s in the Gulf is when you do an offshore case, you depend a lot on oil rigs. Uh, so there comes to a point where you get so far offshore that you become committed to an oil rig to get fuel. You are past that point. You cannot return safely to shore. Uh, you have to go to an oil rig to get fuel. So I'll leave it at that right now. Um, so we, we go out, we're past the point of return to uh, back to Galveston or wherever we were going to get fuel for. Locate the vessel. We come up on the radio. We're trying to talk to him. He is very hard of hearing. So he he just keeps saying, I, I'm not understanding you. I, I, I'm a little hard of hearing. So our pilot is literally yelling in the radio, like, do you need assistance? And he comes back and says, I, I think you're asking me if I need assistance. Uh, yeah, I I, I'd taken a, a fall and hit my head a couple times and I, I can't fend for myself anymore. So that's all we needed to hear. Uh, so I start getting ready in the back. Um, there is thunderstorm squalls all around us as from that right up with the lightning strikes. Uh, so we're, we have about 10 minutes before uh, the next squall was coming to us. And we also were pretty close to bingo because we're already 90 miles offshore and 65 close to bingo to the oil rig that we had planned to get fuel from. So I go down to the water, swim towards his boat. Um, and I'm, I'm hanging on to just a line that's hanging off the boat right now. So I'm just kind of going up and down with the boat in the seas and trying to talk to this guy. And he doesn't of course want to get off the boat. That's his home. And he's like, no, this, this is my home. I'm, I'm good here. I'm just going to wait for a tow. And, and I said, I was like, sir, you are a hundred miles offshore right now. I said, no one's coming out here to get you. I said, you're either coming with us or like, that's it. We're going to leave. And who knows what could happen to you after we leave, you know? And so I finally convinced him. So that, that took what, that's another three to five minutes of trying to talk to this guy. I look Straight behind me. Negotiator the, right here. Yeah, What's up? Negotiating. <laughs> I look behind me, Quinny, the, the basket's already halfway down. Like they're they're like, hey, we gotta go. And so he goes, okay, all right, I'll come with you guys. Uh so he's like, let me go grab my stuff. So he disappears. And I'm still holding on to this this rope. And he's down there for another minute. Still don't see him. I start yelling for him, like, sir, sir nothing doesn't come back out so i'm like shit i look behind me baskets still halfway they're like they're they're waiting they're about to leave me uh if i don't get this guy out of here and uh so i'm like i gotta get on this boat uh so yeah i, I spider-man my way up this this gunnel and get my hand on something up there that i was able to pull myself up on uh the pilot can explain it a little bit better than i can i can't even remember what i grabbed onto but uh make myself get myself on the boat um and i i'm still yelling for him and he's down in this little cabin 
and he's just he can't figure out how to connect his zipper of his life jacket and that's probably what he's just been sitting there doing for the past three to five minutes was trying to fiddle with his, <laughs> his zipper <laughs> and i finally see him and i'm like hey i'm like what are you doing we gotta go now <laughs> and he's like oh okay and so i zip him up he's got this big pelican case with all of his stuff i chuck that in the water uh we i take him arm by arm you know we jump jump in the water and tow him away from the boat get him in the basket and hoist him up and they dropped their hook down to me and that was right when that squall was coming in so that was like right when i was getting picked up you can hear from like the hoist cam footage they were like whoa that was a big lightning strike about 200 yards um and you see the screen light up uh so we get him get him up in the helicopter we think okay here's that here's that other case where we think our job's done hey so real start- quick did, did you get the pelican case yeah 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 okay just gotta make sure we got it you threw it in the water yeah. i didn't hear you go get it i wanted to make sure there, yeah i was like this thing <laughs> this thing floats so threw it in the water um yeah i was towing him and and his big old case put him in the basket put the case okay, on top okay. of him went up um he probably just had snacks in there or something i don't know uh, probably but um <laughs> so we're we're heading out to this oil rig uh that we thought had fuel on it and mind you we still we had that fuel calculation um miss uh like ep so we were doing everything i think by handwritten uh math trusting the pilots up there so they're doing the math and they were like hey all right so we we don't have a lot of fuel guys we're heading out to this oil rig well sector comes on the radio probably about 15 minutes prior to getting to this oil rig and says hey six five whatever we just got a hold of that rig. They don't have any fuel. So we're going to send you to this other oil rig. And it was even further away in the opposite direction. Oh, geez. So we uh, were like, oh, boy. Okay. Um, so we're, we're doing the math. We're calculating everything. And they pretty much said to us on ICS, hey, guys, like, here's the deal. Uh, we, I think we have just enough fuel to get to this rig. And like, that's it. So we were heading to that rig, um, probably about another 15, 20 minutes. We get on scene. So I, I think I have my helmet off at this point. So I'm talking to the survivor, still like treating him. And all of a sudden, I just hear the flight mech just start cursing. Uh, I could hear him just, fuck. And I'm like, what is going on? And he's just, he's just cussing. He's freaking out. And so I'm like, hey, and I like hit him. And he looks back at me and I'm like, what is going on? Why are you freaking out? And he goes, we have to ditch. Holy shit. And I was like, I kind of had that blank stare. And I was like, come again? Like what? He goes, we have to ditch. He go- and then he like pointed down at the oil rig. They had two helicopters, blade tie downs tied to, to the deck. There was no space for us. Oh no. Yeah. So I get up on ICS and I'm like, what is going on? He's like, we just talked to him. They said one helicopter is hard down. It's broken. And the other one, they can say they can get it airborne in like 20 minutes. And that's, that's not enough time for us guys. So we made the call back to sector that we're going to start making preparations to ditch. Um, so that's a scary conversation. 
Holy shit. Um, so we start, yeah, kind of preparing, doing a couple, couple discussions about it. And then, so all those squalls that were in the area, uh, some, some cleared Jason, I'm not, I'm not like a religious guy too much. Um, but someone was looking out for us that day. So a squall, a squall like disappeared and all of a sudden this unmanned oil rig we saw in the distance it wasn't even on the chart as being like a place that we could go and so we spotted it and we started just flying right towards that oil rig it didn't have anybody on there it wasn't i don't even know if it was rated for our weight it definitely didn't have fuel but it was a platform for us to land on uh so we put it down on that oil rig and we just shut down and we're out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico with, you know, very limited fuel. We probably are down to 200 at this point, 250 maybe, because we had, we had planned to land right there on that rig. So, so we hang out there for about 30 minutes and we wait for that other, other helicopter to get airborne. And when they got airborne, so we got in, we started up and pretty much just lily padded over to that other rig. Um, and when we landed, so they, they were two pretty small helicopters that were in those, those tight spots. So we didn't know what the rotor clearance was that we had. We ended up landing our left main on the 65 was probably about a foot and a half from the edge of like the drop off of the oil rig um where we landed and that was it if we had if we had come down a little bit more like to the left like trying to land like we would have we would have gone wheel down and who knows what would have happened um so it was crazy lord so we we shut down um we get fuel and still that's why i was taking care of the patient on on both oil rigs still taking care of the patient now pretending everything's fine. Cause I didn't, you know, you, you try to hide everything that's going on within right. the, 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 C, the CRM aspect of, of everything with the flight. And uh, so you just kept saying like, Oh, how you doing? Doing all right. You know, anyway, got fuel and all was good. And we made it all the way back to, to Galveston, Houston safely with, with him on board. But um, yeah, it was crazy to hear the words, we're ditching we have to ditch um it really yeah stands the hairs up on your on the back of your neck and and uh, i use that as like an example now for for guys that i do stand checks with in the in the fleet on the stand team is like what if what do you do if you have to do a planned ditch like how are you going to do it are you going to have everybody in the in the cockpit or everybody in the cabin like go down the plane or are you going to do 10 and 10 and the flight mag and submarine jump out with the co-pilot and then the pilot's going to be the one that puts it in. Like, how do you go about doing that? You know, have you ever talked about that? So it's crazy. And you've got a survivor. What do you do with a survivor? And, Throw him out? and a survivor. Yeah. He's free falling with me arm in arm again. So it's, <laughs> it's crazy, man. So yeah, we, uh, we made it back, but and then our, our flight mech, we were so, we had our, blinders on and and couldn't think about much else when we landed on that unmanned oil rig that he left his he left his lp27 his survival vest on that 
on that oil rig. So we, we landed That's on the, the other one to get... Vest, for anybody that yeah, doesn't yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah. so we landed on the other rig to get fuel. And he's like, bro. He looks at me, he's like... And I was like, did you forget your life vest over there? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, why did you even take it off? I was like, what, are you, what were you thinking? I, like, I don't know, man. I wasn't thinking. So <laughs> I think it got retrieved. We, we got That's it. Great. Wow, man. Okay, I was not expecting that. I really wasn't. Yeah. Holy yep. smoke. Um, that, can I? Can I? I I'm going to deep reset just a little bit. I'm going to yeah. Monday morning quarterback that. And, Let's do it. and the only thing that I want to say is, you have got to stay calm inside the aircraft. Like, yeah. I, and I understand stuff happens all the time. You know, I, I've had cabin doors fly open on me. Um, I, I've had you know engines sputter on me. I I've been left in the water because. It just it stuff happens. You yep. have to keep your composure. You yep. have to. You have to. Like okay, you got something wrong. It's gonna be a bad day, but keep your mm -hmm. composure. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Say a little prayer, regardless right. of whether you're a religious guy or not, because that one <laughs> ring is right there. Oh. It's crazy. Yeah. It it like appeared like. You know, I don't know. The beam of sunlight came down on yeah. it, and it was just man. So and, someone and was looking and, out for us that day. No doubt. And I'm not. I'm not trying to pick on your your flight, Mac, either. Um, I, yeah. I'm really not. So please, like, for anybody listening, like, I'm I'm really not trying to pick on it, but because I I'm, I've actually been that guy in the aircraft too. I'm like, son of a, like, you're mad, mm -hmm. you're angry, you're upset, you're scared, like you're going yeah. through all these emotions of like, what the, what the heck is going on? You're like, seriously. Yeah. You know, like, how do we get into this predicament? Yeah. Keep your composure. Like, take that, yeah. as as guys have come on here and said, take that tactical pause, take a breath, take five seconds, reevaluate, and then move on. 100%. Yeah. We we joke around about it now. He's uh, he's retired, but uh, yeah, I think we, I was at his retirement. We we chatted about that case again, and, and he laughs about it. He was like, oh, yeah, I was... I was cussing up a storm. I didn't know what to do. And, <laughs> and, and, and I get it. But, I totally yeah. get it. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. In my, uh, in my face too. When he said that, I was just, you know, that blank stare that you give someone, you're like, huh? What? <laughs> like, did I hear that right? <laughs> and you know, the fact of the matter is I know he's not cussing out the pilots or anybody. He's cussing out, you know, sector for get, telling you to go to this rig in completely the opposite yeah. direction. That for failed to mention, there's two helicopters on deck. Yep. Come on. Yep. Or first sending us to one that didn't have fuel, so they didn't they didn't make that phone call first, and then yeah, sending us to another one without calling them. And uh, yeah, I don't know. He probably just called NASA. They had fuel, and they were like, "Yeah, we're we're good. We got fuel." And then hung up yeah. the who knows? Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> but it was only you know five lives in the helicopter that uh, yeah playing around with, but. It's all good. <laughs> all right. I, I do have a side story, total side story. So yeah, I'm yeah. coming back from, uh, I, I can't remember. I We might have had a patient on board. I can't remember. I was in the Gulf of Mexico and I was flying with Air Helicopter at the time. And uh, so this is dispatch story. So this is where like to, to kind of simulate the two, but um, they're looking at the radar and, and we got thunderstorms all around us. And and we call back to dispatch. I'm like, Hey, can you give us a route? Do you, what do you guys see on your radar out there? And he's like, well, I got good news and bad news. It's like, all right, well, what's, 
What's the good news? He's like, the good news is I'm not with you. The bad news is you're surrounded by nothing but storms. Oh, no. I was like, oh, thanks, dispatch. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Would it make the matters worse? Yeah, exactly. So, all right, back uh, to you, back to you. You yeah. and your crew, well done. Um, the you. fact that you had that all the way through and, and earned yourself yeah. the award, it's, it's well-deserved coming back yeah. from that one. Saved an aircraft from going in the water. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, got the guy off the boat, got him back to his family, and I, I think that boat ended up getting salvaged later on. So he got his home back, um, and hopefully he didn't do any spontaneous trips to Mexico after that. We didn't, we didn't hear anything. So uh, maybe yeah, that's because he's in of, Mexico. I was just saying he's probably in Mexico <laughs> drinking, drinking pina coladas now. <laughs> Holy so. shit, Brad! That was awesome. Yeah, that's, it's a good one. Yeah, great, great crew. Loved it. We uh we got a chance to go down to Pensacola uh, a few months later to receive that NHA award. Uh, so it was it was pretty cool because NHA is a huge deal, you know. So we went. I think it was at the uh, the aviation museum down there. They had a conference room where we went, and they had our hoist cam footage playing over on a loop during the whole like meet and greet where we're walking in. And they were handing out other awards that day too, but they just were so infatuated with the hoist cam footage, the lightning strikes and the, uh, the guy like going up in the basket and stuff. And they just kept playing that on loop. And, uh, yeah, it's, it was pretty cool to, to go receive that award too. And, um, yeah. yeah. Freaking <laughs> awesome. It was, a, it was a good one. It was a good one. <laughs> wow. And, and, uh, all right. And then we got another one, like, all right, I'm gonna keep it going. I'm gonna, let's keep, keep it going, keep man. Riding. Yeah. So That's your next one. one is in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, that I'm gonna go over. And mm-hmm. um, I think you actually sent me and said this may have been like your second rescue ever. Yeah. So we went over that first one out of the water, and this was only this was still within my first year of being qualified, I believe. Um, Freaking yeah. awesome! All right, let's get right into it. So out of Elizabeth City, North Carolina, citation to accompany the award of the Coast Guard Combination Medal to Bradley A. Pagage, Aviation Survival Technician, Third Class, United States Coast Guard. Pedestrian Pagage is cited for outstanding achievement while serving as rescue swimmer on Coast Guard MH-60 Helicopter 6041 while assigned to Coast Guard Air Station Elizabeth City, North Carolina on 28 June 2006. At 0230 at that morning, the District 5 Command Center ordered the launch of the Ready H-60 to stage in at Scranton, Pennsylvania for flood operations. The crew navigated beneath 200-foot ceilings in marginal conditions, including visibility less than two statute miles through the Pennsylvania foothills and areas with numerous tall towers and antenna. Throughout the entire operation, Petty Officer Bagage provided insight, crew resource, and operational risk management input that ensured the safe prosecution of the highly demanding search and rescue case. Due to the crew's tenacity and skill, the Coast Guard rescue crew was the only SAR resource to reach the River Valley that morning. Once on scene, two individuals were located in the second-story window of a flooded apartment complex. Petty Officer Pagaj quickly assessed the situation and determined that he could swing himself 
under the four foot overhang of the second story building's roof while remaining attached to the hoist cable. Pedestal Bagage then straddled the window and helped the survivor into the quick strap recovery device. Pedestal Bagage then gently rolled out of the window with the attached survivor one at a time to clear them of the roof. Once both survivors were aboard the Coast Guard helicopter, he ensured they received necessary medical attention. The Coast Guard helicopter then hoisted them down to a nearby highway to ground rescue personnel. Then the rescue helicopter next proceeded to where the raging river had washed out the road. Two survivors had managed to reach a small island formed by the swollen river. During this demanding rescue evolution, Petty Officer Bagage was lowered into the surging river and struggled through chest-deep water to rescue each elderly survivor. Once the survivors were on board the aircraft, he treated them for hypothermia, and they were lowered to the ground to rescue personnel. Petty Officer Bagage's actions resulted in four lives saved. His dedication, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. So, you're going inland a little bit there, bud. You're going to Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. that was a that was a weird call to get. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's, it, uh, that's not near the coast. Scranton, Pennsylvania is nowhere near the coast. No. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm sleeping up in the the duty room in East City, and the the beeper goes off, and they come up and say for flood rescues in Pennsylvania. And it was one of those things like, yeah, it's two o'clock in the morning. You're like, that's, that's not right. What, what did they just say? You ever get called and, and have to call the comm center afterwards? Cause you realize like, you're like, did I dream that or something? Like it could be, <laughs> I don't know. There is no so, way we're going to Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> no, no way. I just heard what I just heard, but uh, no, it was true. So there was a big nor'easter storm that dropped a ton of rain up into this little mountain town up there in Pennsylvania. So all these all these mountains, uh, all the water was running down into these valleys. And there was second story, uh, two story homes that were, they, all you could see was the rooftop. So we were heading out there and they were expecting this to be like, I think the original call was that there was like tens and twenties and thirties of people on their rooftops, like waiting to be rescued. We thought this was going to be Katrina part two, you know? And so we start heading up there. I, we were the first crew and then it was actually Mario Batone was the second crew that came up there after us. Um, it ended up being not as bad. There wasn't tens and twenties of people on rooftops, but we did spot the first two. They, they had a, a white t-shirt hanging out the uh, window of their apartment complex. And uh, so I, we spotted them first. Um, trying to figure out so their parking lot where their window was facing out of you had power lines probably about 50 feet from that that window maybe maybe like 100 feet so we had a small small gap of uh where they could put me down and try to get me to a little uh overhang roof first um that was kind of on the same level as their window uh, so if you can imagine, so I, I wasn't going to the very top roof where they had that four foot overhang, but I was uh, going down to like, it, it was over like a first story window. And so there was a little roof that kind of came out. So that's what I went down to. It was like 
precision hoisting at its best. I mean, they the nice. flight neck put me right on that little overhang. I had about two feet to to hit without cable rubbing of that. Um, and so basically, what we had to do is he had to give me some slack, so we didn't have cable rub, and I had to jump from that from that little roof overhang over to their window and and latch on and then straddle it um, without getting cable rub on the overhang um so i was able to i was holy cow dude 22 at the time so i was young and limber and could (laughs) do this sort of stuff uh so yeah i got got to there and there was a, a couple there and they said they had been trapped all all night and they couldn't couldn't go downstairs it was all all flooded up to their second story so i thought all right well not going to leave you here we'll we'll take you with so i had the quick shop with me and but then the guy was like hey can we we have our dogs can we take our dogs and i was like shoot man like you're making this real difficult i was like oh. i was like i don't know how where are they and i didn't notice but he had a he had a duffel bag on and i just thought it was his clothes and he just opens the duffel bag and two little chihuahua heads like poke out. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, if you just keep that on you, as like zip them up. Yeah, we'll take the dogs. No problem. So he had he had a duffel bag with his two chihuahuas. So I put the quick shopper on him. I went ahead and just put the cross strap, the safety strap on uh, just for fun. And so basically what I was going to do is reach over as far as I could to make sure that they could see my thumb. Um, I mean, I, I could have come up on the radio too, but I just wanted to make sure they could see my thumb. And the plan was to, yes, just make sure our heads are clear and just roll out, but not create a pendulum swing too large to then go into the power lines that were over on the other side. Uh, so we, we were able to do that. And then we got the first guy up with his dogs. And then I did the exact same thing, went down to the overhang again, jumped to the window, and then got the uh, the other person. I think maybe I'd taken the female first. I can't remember, but um, yeah. So we got those two out of there. Uh, it was yeah, good precision hoisting. Uh, great, great technique, and it's technique that we teach now. And at the urban part of Ahars uh, is making sure that because we do this exact same motion, we go into a window and we do the the thumbs out and we we kind of gently start sliding out as the cable comes taut uh and then come right out of the window and it it works like a charm so oh yeah i need to come hang out with you guys for a little while yeah i like that there was a it was a good technique to use and and it worked um yeah we took them over to uh there was a bunch of medical personnel staging out on a highway and dropped them down just lowered them straight down in a basket and then we went out again searching for more people and came across two elderly people their truck had been like we saw the nose kind of sticking into the raging waters and water was just going around it they had managed to get out of their truck but they made it just to a little higher kind of gravel um island thing that had formed with all these these raging waters and they were going pretty quick and there was a swift water team staged out across this river from them but there was it was it was long it was big there was probably it would have been a pretty tough rescue for them and so once they saw that we were on scene they kind of stood off a little bit and watched us 
so the, we couldn't hoist them directly from where they were at because there was trees all coming over uh, on top of their little island there. So I had to go down to this other little island part and I had to kind of wade. I stayed connected onto the hook, but just walk across this chest deep. You know, I'm losing my footing, trying to make it over to this part that they're at and uh, managed to get that done. And we did quick drops with them and I had to kind of wade them out uh, away from the trees. That way we could hoist straight up. Uh, but yeah, we got those two out of there and it was a good day, but it wasn't, wasn't as bad as what they originally said on the radio, which was good, but uh, it was pretty cool to get to do the, the roof or the window rescues and, and the raging flood rescues too. And, and yeah, like I said, that was like my first year of being qualified and and there's no there's no Katrina but it was still something it was pretty cool to get to go do yeah 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 yeah. It, you know it's all right so next thing I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of tie all this stuff together right now mm -hmm. is it yeah that was your second case that that built mm -hmm. just such a um uh, like a plethora of information for you for rescue and dynamics and and how to treat mm -hmm. one situation versus another that's awesome yeah 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 inland is it's way different. You know, we train for maritime oh, yeah. all the time. And, and once you get into an urban raging flood environment, swift water, it's, it's a whole different ball game. And, you know, after or before Katrina, no one knew any of that, you know, really, we all kind of went out to Katrina and just kind of figured it out. Yeah. Uh, and, and although I wasn't a part of that, I saw a lot of voice cam footage from Katrina and, and heard the stories and talked to the guys that came back from doing it. And they all just had great stories and tips and everything for me. And so seeing the, the window rescue, I had actually seen a hoist cam footage and it was, um, it was Jeremy Carroll from Katrina doing a physical grip out of a window from a, a lady. And they actually brought them all the way up. The flight mech didn't realize that he was physical gripping and they brought him all the way up. But I remember seeing that hoist cam footage and so I had that in my head, like, and that's the thing is, is that's why it's so important to come back and talk about your, your rescues to the guys in the shop, because that yeah. knowledge can be shared and just seeing that video and listening to them talk about it and CRM it and RM it and everything. And it was, I, I had a plan when I saw those, those two people waving their t-shirt out of the window, I was like, all right, guys, like, here's what we're going to do. You're going to put me down there. I'm going to jump over. I'm going to reach out, give you the thumbs up. I'm going to pendulum swing out. Try not to throw me into the power lines right there. And uh, we'll be good to go. <laughs> Dude, that is awesome. And it's one thing I love about doing this too, is we get to share all this knowledge with so many people and, mm -hmm. and just get that out. That's, that is awesome. Brilliant. Well done. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. You and your crew, like everybody, you know, we can't do it alone. I can't, I can't no. emphasize enough. We can't do it alone. So yeah. it, it's, a, no, it's a full team, full crew. So hundred percent. Like I said, it was such well executed hoisting to get me down to that one spot that I needed to go to get, uh, get feet on that rooftop right there and then make my way over the window. And, and they, they had to trust me and knowing that, you know, I'm going to swing out and, and we're not going to shock load the cable. And, right. and it was just a lot, a lot of things that could go wrong in that situation. Power lines. Um, I know that's been a mishap oh, in yeah. the past of, of 
the cable hitting a power line. And, uh, and Graham McGinnis came on here and told us about it. Oh yeah. my gosh. And, and we use that, that video at Ahars when we started our urban section, because like you said, it's not a maritime environment. You, you're not just looking down at a normal boat and knowing the obstacles up and, and safety concerns on the boat. It's like, now you're involved with electricity and dirty water and, you know, there could be alligators down in that water too. Like if you're talking about golf and Katrina and stuff, you're doing you know, yeah. F, F that stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I don't want to be waiting. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be waiting around any Louisiana water with alligators <laughs> right by. So. Right up until you come up with one in your hand, you'd be like, who wants lunch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm all set. I'm all set. Dude, awesome, man. Yeah. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Who knew? Pennsylvania. Who'd have thought? So <laughs> Who'd have yeah, thought? that was pretty cool. We went up there and then when I came back, that was my first time like being interviewed. They had tons of news cameras all over the place in Elizabeth City. And and uh yeah, like Mario and I got interviewed. I don't even think they did too much. They just kind of did oversight flying to the area, make sure we had gotten who we had, you know. And but everybody made it to safety. And uh yeah, it was just those four, but better better than 20 people in that situation because that would have been a rough rough yeah. go at it still so cool man so cool yeah. awesome well done well done thank you another four lives saved all right now i'm going to get into this one yeah and this one you earned out ec so this is going to be a little longer story and because there's a lot that goes into this and for those that have listened to this podcast long enough um we had drew dazzo on here uh, and he was episode 104. So he talks about this case that he flew out of E-City and responded to a vessel that other helicopters had gone to. Well, you were one of those other helicopters that responded. Yeah, first one. Ooh-wee. So we started talking a little bit about it in our episode, like like between Drew and I. And and one of the things I remember saying is like, you know what? I don't want to speculate on anybody. So, hey, whoever was on that, hey, c- come on, let's let's hear what happened. So, poof, here you are. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I appreciate you being willing to go over this with me. So, let me read the award up, and then, yeah, I, I look forward to hearing the 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 after action with this one for sure. So, yeah. here yeah. we go. Let's get into it. So I, Citation to accompany the award of the Air Medal to Bradley A. Pagage, Aviation Survival Technician, 3rd Class, United States Coast Guard. Pagage Pagage is cited for meritorious achievement in aerial flight on the night of 28 to 29 October 2008 while serving as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard Helicopter 6003. His crew was launched to rescue three people from sailing vessel Freefall that had been severely damaged in a violent nor'easter that was adrift 280 nautical miles northeast of Air Station Elizabeth City. While he clutched the first survivor and waited to be hoisted, waves crashed down on the empty rescue basket and frayed the hoist cable, rendering it useless. Realizing the repair delay would be significant, he swam himself and the survivor to the one-person raft that had been deployed in the preparation to leave him on scene. Disregarding his own safety, he loaded the injured survivor into the raft and positioned it into the seas. Moments later, a tremendous wave violently swamped the raft, took him under, 
filled his dry suit with frigid water and washed the survivor away. Fighting through the raging seas, he pulled the survivor back to the raft and awaited the emergency recovery line. As the helicopter descended between the waves to mere feet above the surface, he connected to the line with his vest, ignored the designed system's limitation and risked component failure while desperately clinging to the survivor. Threatened by a towering wave, the Coast Guard helicopter ascended rapidly, pulling Petty Officer Pagage violently from the water, seriously injuring him and separating him from the survivor. On the second attempt, he was violently jerked again as the Coast Guard helicopter maneuvered to avoid another towering wave. This action aggravated his back injury and rendered him unable to hold onto the survivor or help himself. The crew recovered him and battled through severe winter weather to get him to medical attention. Overcoming aircraft equipment failures, physical exhaustion, and severe injury, Pedestrogaj's actions demonstrated exceptional skill and heroism. His courage, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily committed in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Brad, dude, I'm getting chills just reading that, brother. Holy shit. So am I. So am I. (laughs) Okay. Well, so you guys get launched out. uh, Vessel in distress. Three people on board. Yep. Game on. Yeah, so game on, man. Um, So... It's about 11 o'clock at night, I think it was, when the initial call came in, and they had an EPIRB going off, and it was, yeah, north northeast of us, actually close up to Atlantic City's AOR, but Atlantic City couldn't respond um, because they it was were so too far, far offshore. Yeah, okay, too, too far offshore, uh, so they would have had only like a minute on scene before they had to turn around and come back. Uh, so that's why Elizabeth City launched on it. So we. We flew out there. Uh, so yeah, w- when we came into the hangar, we briefed, and when the pilot said, "Hey, okay, we have we have a sailboat," it uh, took a rogue wave. It did a complete uh, turn, barrel roll, three hundred and sixty in the water. The mass has broken over on one side, and one person possibly has a broken. I think it was an arm and broken ribs, and. So we came over, I immediately just, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, you know, you get called so much and then it's like, oh, stand down, stand down. It was nothing. And this was the first time where I had briefed and it was like, holy shit, we, this is for real. Like, this is going to be the next four hours of my life right now. And we're heading out there to do this. So accept it. Um, So we... And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of tell the whole story because there's, I know there's some questions about uh, a quick splice and, and all this stuff. And there was an, obviously an investigation and, and everything is cleared now. So I, I can talk about it and everything. And, um, but we originally were scheduled to fly on one helicopter. And when we ramped for this flight, we were walking out and maintenance changed our helicopter to another one. Um, so I went in to the cabin and did a quick all seat checklist of items that I needed for this case, which was, you know, basket, sling, quick drop, uh, everything else, rescue litter, all that stuff. And I made a quick check and then we were, we were starting up, you know? Um, 
I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I did not at the time open up the SAR board and look at all the items that were in there. Um, but that aircraft had been inspected that day, had a weekly done on it and everything was in that uh, aircraft. So that. I, I, I know there was questions about not doing an inspection and not having a piece of equipment. That was untrue. We, we did have everything we needed to do and I'll get into actually what happened with that uh, when we're on scene at the case. So, okay. We, uh, so we took off, we, we were brief. We had the most experienced pilot that I've ever flown with, um, has had numerous cases in, in Sitka, Kodiak, uh, Elizabeth city, all over very well-known, awesome pilot. Um, we had a, a junior co-pilot and a junior flight mechanic. And then I was still pretty junior. I was in my third year of Elizabeth city. So I, I'd say we're all pretty junior. Um, so we head out there. It took us about two hours to fly offshore and up to the Northeast to get to where that location was. Uh, and I remember seeing, I knew that we were kind of in that, that storm path of a, of a Nor'easter or at least like a really strong storm. Uh, so flying out there, I remember looking down with MVGs and seeing all the streaks on the water and all the white caps. Uh, but we never really knew. We knew that there was a rogue wave that, that flipped the boat. So we knew the seas were going to be fairly large, but we didn't really know what we were getting into. Um, I just remember, like I said, looking out with MVGs and being like, that looks pretty nasty down there. Um, and this was like halfway out there. So they were in the Gulf Stream. And if anybody is familiar with the Gulf Stream, you know, it can be warmer water than what's typically, um, you know, the water temp of the Atlantic out there. And which also means that it can get pretty nasty out in the Gulf Stream too. So you may, you may see the sea state in a certain area outside the Gulf Stream and may get in the Gulf Stream and maybe 10 to 20 feet higher than what's showing elsewhere. Because um, it just gets nasty in there. Um, and, and guys from Elizabeth City and Cape Cod will, will attest to that. So we get on scene. I think we make it there around 1 o'clock a.m. Um, it's blowing pretty hard. It's snowing. Um, we couldn't, again, tell how big the waves were uh, because all we had was just our, our spotlight going towards the boat, and we saw the mass was over. No one was out on deck. Uh, no one was coming up on a radio or anything like that. We just had a dead-in-the-water sailboat sitting there going up and down with the swells. So we started talking about it. Um, and they had asked me what I wanted to do. And, and at this point, again, this was my first sailboat case. And again, I was a guy that used to sit and study hoist cam footages and talk to guys that would come back from doing sailboat cases. And, and I knew I was super comfortable. I said, all right, we're, we're going to go down, just harness deploy me. I'm going to swim up to the boat. I'm going to get on the boat. I'm going to talk to him, figure out, probably take the injured guy first, have having the other gentleman that's on the boat help me get him out on deck. I'm going to get in the water first and I'm going to tell him when to jump and then we'll jump and then I'll put him in a basket 
and then you can either drop the basket back down to me and or the bear hook and then we'll reposition me back over to the area where i can get either back on the boat or just have the guy jump off again and then we'll do the same thing over super it was going to be it was going to be textbook yeah. uh i was i was so ready and we had we had planned it out it was a good plan we had ORM'd it it was going to be risky but at that point the seas they didn't look bad and again it was pitch black of stung so we didn't we didn't really know so i get down i'm harness pulling it down release from the hook i swim over to the boat super easy i let the current the winds take me right for or the i went um up upwind of it so basically well the they, the wind pushed the boat to me um so i got to the boat super quick uh got right to the back where there was a ladder and managed to just get right on the boat it was it was simple and then you know hearing hearing drew's story how he like took a swell and he'd like pretty much did a flip on yeah. the boat like <laughs> I, I could definitely see how that would have happened if i had maybe had a larger wave at that time where i was trying to get on but maybe i had was in between sets and pretty much just got right on the boat i was like man all right cool this is this is working out great i put my head down in the cabin there's three people down there you know all huddled together shivering there's water in the cabin uh sloshing around they're all all okay seem to be and they're ready to, to get the heck off that boat um so it, it wasn't an option for us at that time. Like, oh, you guys are doing okay. Let's wait till the morning. Um, like they wanted off that boat. They could have had another rogue wave and they would have been underwater or that boat would have just completely smashed apart. So they all wanted off. We were there to get them off. Um, so the oldest gentleman, uh, I, I wanted to take him first uh, because I could allow the the gentleman that didn't have any injuries to help me get him off. So we go out on deck and, and that's when I kind of realized once I was on the boat and felt the up and down and the wind of how bad the waves were at that point. And so I made the decision, which, yeah, I went off the port side, the same side that I had just swam. I had taken the current to okay. because that was the only side that it, the other side had the sail and the mast sitting in the water. There was debris everywhere. Got so it. So I hindsight you're not now. Jump I into a bunch of well, you, you know, but I get that because yeah. you're not. You don't want to be jumping into a bunch of debris because then you get you wrapped up in something. And yeah, yep, yep. Hindsight now, I probably would have maybe maybe gone to the bow and jumped off. But I and I'll tell you why in a second because okay. as soon as I jumped into the port side. I immediately started being pushed towards the boat and I was like, Oh shit, that was a bad idea, but all right, I got to get this guy to jump and I got to get, I got to tow him around either the, the fantail of the boat or the, the bow of the boat just to get out of this current pushing me towards this boat and then having it slam down and knock us out. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. That's scary. Yeah. So obviously the, the starboard side would have been a, a better side to go over but i there was a sail and rigging and broken mass everywhere on that side um and that's why i chose the port side so i got in the water 
I said, all right, I'm gonna tell you when to jump. And when I do, you got to jump. And he, he jumped right away, um, which is great. I got him, put him in a carry. And then it was like, Jason, it was like a fight for my life just to tow him around either the back of the boat or the front of the boat, because the current was pushing so strong and the wind was pushing me um, into the boat where I was kicking as hard as I could and I was going nowhere. Yeah. And I was like, this was a horrible idea. Like I'm going to get, I'm going to get smashed by this boat before I can even get this guy in the basket. So I try going aft first and I'm going nowhere. Like I can't even get around the boat to the aft side. So then I, I switch and I try the front. I'm like, maybe there's more current taking me to the front. So I start buddy towing him to the bow of the boat. And this is just to get around the 40 some foot boat i can't even i can't even tow it was pushing me so hard i finally make it around the bow and the boat disappears as about as super fast they, they had to be going 10 knots Holy so the God. the light of the, the light of the boat just got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it's gone didn't see the boat anymore so now it's just me and this guy pitch black and we're waiting for the basket. So I brief him and I say, all right, here's the deal, I'll put you in the basket and get you up there and give him the whole spiel and all that stuff. And he was, he was like, okay, sounds good, you know, and um, super strong dude. Like he, you could tell he had a, a broken arm, broken ribs, cause he, he grunted a couple of times, but um, we waited for the basket basket came down and just as I was about to put him in the basket I just look up you know you want to make sure you're in a good position um they're not like flying over and now you're on the left side of the helicopter so I just happened to look up and it looked like they were flying away and I was like whoa 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 and so I just I let go and the basket just poof and all of a sudden it goes underwater and it jerked so hard. And then it, it eventually came out from underwater and it swung and did all of its thing in the air. And, and I was like, holy crap, like if I had put him in that basket, it would have snapped his neck or, or taken him underwater and, and waterboarding. I don't know what would have happened. So I'm like, well, I'm glad I didn't put you in the basket right there. That was intense. Okay, let's wait for it to come back. Well, they were off in a hover for minutes now and they weren't coming back in. And I was like, okay, like, let's make another approach guys. Let's get this guy out of here. And in the meantime, I'm seeing now realizing what kind of sea state I'm in because I am going up very tall and coming back down and up to the point where I, I lose the helicopter, you know, the lights, of the helicopter, and then I'll come back up and then lose them again. And, and then a couple were even starting to crumble at the top. And so we would get smashed um, from behind us because now the waves are coming from behind and I can't see anything, it's pitch black. Um, so we got, we got smashed, rolled a couple times, come back up, yeah, clear the mask, put the mask back on, uh, snorkel, hey, you okay? Hey, oh yeah, yeah. Um, they're still sitting out there in a hover. And after one of the waves took me underwater, 
And then I look up and the, the basket's not there anymore. So I think, shoot, all right, what's going on here? Uh, where's the basket? And they had cut it because that wave that had taken it out of my hand and shock loaded the cable so much, it had partially severed the cable. Holy so, shit. but I, I didn't know that at the time. Um, so I bring my radio out, the old M72. Uh, this is before in-ear headsets or anything like that, where it's the comms are a lot better. And I start coming up and I said, you know, hey, what's going on? Where's where's the basket? And all I can hear was like, you know, and we're we're going up and down, waves are hitting me. So I'm I'm trying to talk and at the same time of and ingesting water in my mouth every time I spit out my snorkel. So the radio was like useless. I couldn't hear a single word they were saying. I don't think they were hearing what I was saying. Uh, so I put the radio back in. I remember telling them, I think at that point I was like, well, or no, I, I waited. So then I saw the life raft and the DMB come out. Um, and that's the one man life raft that we carry for yep. that the helicopter be, deploys in yeah. case we need to be left on scene. Yep. And that is the leaving rescue swimmer on scene emergency procedure is you throw out that. So I the saw first that thing come that out. goes through your head is you son of a bee. <laughs> yeah. The, that's the first thing. Well, yeah. First thing I, well, the first thing I thought was they didn't throw it right on top of me. They threw it like 20 yards away. And now I have to tow this guy over to go get it. So swam over to the life raft. I got it. I got it inflated and I put him in the life raft. And I remember the really sad thing was he asked if this was the basket and I, I had to say no. I said, but we're gonna we're gonna try to figure it out, man. Um, this is a life raft, and I'm put you in it, you know. So, so now we're waiting. I come up on the radio again, and there was a reason that they obviously sent that down, and I thought they were about to leave me, and so I come up on the radio, and and I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I remember yelling and saying, but you guys better hook up the the fucking urn because I am not staying out here uh because I won't I won't make it you know so uh excuse me it's good man it's good it's good yeah. it's good solid um so they came back and again I couldn't I couldn't hear anything um the radio is useless and so put it back in um we're getting we're getting beat up again. We're taking a couple more waves. Um, I think one of the write-ups said the one of the waves threw us out, threw him out of the, the life raft. And yeah, and it did. So we we took a huge wave over the top of us and he got thrown out and the life raft and like all three of us got separated. And so I had to swim towards him, get him, tow him back to the to the RSLR one, the life raft, and then put him back in. And um, again, like came up and they're just still hovering there and just, I'm just waiting at this point. I don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden um, I see a huge silhouette fall from the helicopter. And I was like, what the heck was that? That was what I found out later. They jettisoned the 120 tank um, 
because that was, I think, what had caused the cable to partially sever as well. Okay. Because uh, it because it got stuck between the, the so the 120 tank on the MH60, it sticks about halfway out or maybe like a third out of um, in the way of the door. Yep. And you have the 120 on the on the right side of the helicopter. And that's the larger tank. So real quick for everybody that's so, listening. Yeah. On the H60 of the of the Coast Guard Jayhawk, uh, you've got two internal tanks on the inside of the helicopter. Then we have three external tanks, two on the left, one on the right. The one on the right, we usually have, I can't remember the, the size of it, but you can put so that Usually an 80, tank. yeah. Yeah. So you have this 80, which is a smaller tank. It's a little, it's out of the way of the cabin door when you're hoisting. Mm -hmm. But if you go long range, you can put that 120 on to give you that extra bit of fuel. So that's yep. what we're talking about right now. Yep. So that's uh, that's what they jettisoned in the water uh, to give them more room to set up for the urn. Now, let's rewind because I know people are going to be asking, well, what about the quick splice? Um, and that was the famous line from this whole case was you didn't do a proper pre-flight. You didn't have a quick splice. And that's what happened and why you guys weren't able to get this guy. Well, the flight mech got the quick splice out, I think, after all was going down when the basket got cut. And to my knowledge, from what I remember, is he sat it on the life raft right there on the M860, which sits right by the door. And he turned around to, to do something to keep like connecting equipment or in eyes in the cabin and turned around and it wasn't there anymore and he thought it had slipped off the raft and out the cabin door holy cow so we he thought we didn't have a quick splice and that is why they started connecting the emergency recovery device which is uh i'll, I'll explain what that is it's basically a sailing capsule like uh winch style manual winch style to uh, a very thick uh, static climbing rope, like cremantle rope. Yep. Um, so there's not much give to it. It's a static line. It's not a dynamic line. And it goes up to a, uh, like a traction pulley uh, that's connected on by a carabiner to where the hoist would be. There's a little eyelet up there that you would connect on. And um, so it basically, once you engage that traction pulley, you're only able to take slack out. You cannot give any more slack back out to the load um and that's going to become important here in a second so he he laid out all the the cable down to the water's edge and then engaged that traction pulley so now he's only able to take take slack out and he can't he can't deliver anymore to me um and then he has he puts three turns on the winch and gets ready for me to hook in and then basically they would come up, up in altitude away from the waves. And then he would continue to winch me up. Well, this, the URD has been only tried in a training environment. Um, it had never been an operational use until that night. So we didn't know we'd only use the URD and flat com seas. It used to be where you did not put a sling on it. Uh, after our case, now you put a sling and a weight bag on it as a part of the procedure. Uh, and that was for the reason 
of what's going on right now. So they delivered that hook down. Um, my intention was to get hooked into that and basically grab onto him and physical grip him as much as I could up until we, he can hoist us back into the cabin. Um, hindsight now, yes, I Monday morning quarterbacked the shit out of myself and realized I should have called back or done, asked for the sling and, and then at least have flotation form and something that would make the hook float on top of the surface. Uh, and that was why I, I brought that up in the safety investigation was there need, there needs to be a sling on the end of that hook, because then you can just leave it in the water and then you can pay out more rope if need be, and kind of do like a catenary style, because when you're playing in heavy surf, um, if you try to do just direct plumb hoists, then it, it's not going to work. You need to have some sort of catenary style and give slack and let the power of the waves take you under and then you're going to keep and that's what we teach at Ahars at the the heavy seas is uh you give yourself room and let the waves take the the, the swimmer and survivor to you before you take that load you know yeah. so if you if you try to hoist completely vertical and a wave comes underneath you it's going to push you and it's going to shock load you so he drops that hook down to me. Well, I'm in 40 foot seas. So every time that hook gets close to me and the waves come up 40 feet, 20 feet or whatever, that hook drops down 20 feet under the water. And I still have him buddy tone around. And so I'm pulling up rope to try to find the end of the hook so that I can hook into my, my Triton. And then the wave drops out underneath and it gets yanked out of my hand. So they spent about 20 minutes just trying to get the hook to me while I was in the water. Um, Cause it just kept going 40 feet down and then it would get ripped out of my hand, 40 feet down, ripped out of my hand. So finally we find a, uh, a time where I can get hooked in to the hook get hooked in. I turned to the guy and I just said, grab onto me as hard as you can. And I wrap my arms around him. And then I look up and the exact same vision I had of them flying away when I was about to put him in the basket, it looked like that ex exact same moment. So I look up and it, it just looks like they're flying away. And I look down at the rope and I was like, here we go. Shit. And it just goes pink. And I just get launched out of the water i end up going over him not able to hold on because you're being you know you're being yeah. pulled by a, a helicopter at that point right. you're right. at the mercy of the helicopter on a static line that gives no no dynamic uh stretch or anything uh i remember i remember the the vision i had was that that scene in star Wars where they go to light speed or wherever, and all the, the stars go super fast because it was snowing out. So all of a sudden I see the snow ahead of me dropping. And then all of a sudden it was just that light speed. And I bent in, in half, like pretty sure the back of my head touched my fins and I'm flying through the air 
and then I hit the water and I start just tumbling, they're still pulling me and I'm doing somersaults on top of the water, skipping. And then I land in the water and I look back up and they just, it's just a game at this point. And I'm just the end of, uh, I'm a doll at this point. So I look up again, they look like they're flying the other direction. And I just, boom, get launched out again, flying through the air and hit the, hit the water again, just keep somersaulting. And we did this three times, I think. And what the heck, dude? I, oh my I finally, God. I make it kind of close to the survivor again. And I remember I'm trying my hardest just to swim over to him to try one more time of just like grabbing onto him. And I couldn't even make it to him before again, just getting blasted out. Um, and I didn't, I just told myself I wasn't going to unhook because I knew if I unhooked, then it would have taken another 20 minutes to get hooked in again. So that was why that was the decision making in my head. I don't know. I could have released and kept myself from getting injured and, and thought of another idea, but I just told myself that moment, I'm not unhooking from this hook and I'm going to get this guy. And then I just never got back to him. And there was one point again, where a wave came and took me under. And this was a long time. I was underwater for what felt like eternity getting tossed around, not knowing which way is up. And I'm still connected on to the herb line at this point. And I remember making it in that one, that one took everything. I lost my mask, my snorkel, ripped my, my mask right off of my head. All I had was the strap dangling in the back. And so now I'm just gasping for, for air in all of this white water and, and bubbles. And I remember after that wave had taken me, when I made it to the surface, I look up and it looked like I could touch the main landing gear. It was literally right there. And Holy they, shit, they had came probably within five feet of the water in between sets to come down to take all that slack out. And then that's when they just pulled max power and took me straight up um, and got me out of that situation. And that's when I just, I remember looking up at the flight mech who was, you know, he's still just doing the manual winch to try to get me up. And I was just, I was dead at that point. I, I remember everything hurt. I had water all in my dry suit. Um, and I just, he finally got me up to the top because that's, that's a long evolution too, to try right. to manually winch someone. It could take eight to 10 minutes on a hook, depending on how much line you have out. And that's one of the reasons that they came down so low because he took all that slack out. And, and so the, and the winch off the top of my head is a one-to-one, -one, like it's, you can crank right or left or counterclockwise yeah. or clockwise. And one yeah. of them is a one-to-one a -one, and then the other one's like a four-to-one or something like that. It's yeah, it's easier, easier one direction than the other. So some guys use the technique where they, they do this, where they push it back, back and, and forth. forth to, yeah. Um, and that's on like really heavy, really heavy loads and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a light dude. So he probably was able to, to winch me up quicker, but um, so yeah, made it back up into the cabin. And the first thing I asked the flight mech, I just said, where is the quick splice? 
And that's all I want to do is be able to use the quick splice to go back out to get this guy to bring him back in. Holy and cow, dude. I love the mentality. Said, and he said, we don't have one. And I remember when he said that, I just thought, this is on me. Like, I just, I just killed this whole case because I didn't, I, could, I didn't know, I didn't pre-flight. I didn't find, I didn't put my hands on a quick splice. And this is all on me now. And I, I didn't know at the time that he, he was saying we don't have one because he thought it fell out the cabin door. He just said, we don't have one. And, and that's when I just, just gave up. I, like all my, I couldn't, I could have like free fall back in there, but I wouldn't have made it. I, there's no way I could have gone back in there and, and survived another couple hours until another helicopter could come back out for me, you know? Um, and so we made the decision to get me medical attention. Um, and we knew, so Cape Cod had been launched. Uh, we had a C-130 flying overhead from Elizabeth City. We had both the Alpha and Bravo crews of Atlantic City going out there. They were launched because our crew called back to sector and said that we have our rescue center in the water and we're unable to retrieve them. Um, so that's why they get launched. They came out just for self-rescue for me. Uh, wow. The C-130, C-130 dropped flares. They dropped the life rafts, everything to try to give this guy the, the best chance of survival. And the Cape Cod bird ended up coming out. I don't know exactly how long after I was on scene and picked up the gentleman that was in the water, but he had, he had deceased. He didn't, he didn't make it. So, oh, um, I'm sorry, um, dude. Yeah. So, um, I remember the flight back was very somber. It was the worst, worst feeling in the whole world. Um, I remember getting nauseous and I, th I threw up everything that I had ingested. So I was, I had biohazard all over the cabin. I was trying to throw up in my fin, like kind of like Drew was saying, and it wasn't, wasn't doing anything. I pretty much just was throwing up on myself and, um, I was laid out. I wasn't in a seat. I was just laid out on the ground because I couldn't, I couldn't move my legs at the time. Uh, not very well. And I thought I'd seriously like paralyze myself or something. Um, so after all the adrenaline had run out, that's when like my whole body just locked up from being jerked. Um, so they, we flew to Atlantic city, um, and they had an EMS ambulance on deck waiting for me. Um, they, yeah, got me to EMS, cut my dry suit off, got me to the ER, did x-rays, MRIs, all that stuff. And I was, I didn't like hurt anything and break any vertebrae or do anything, but they, I had a severe strain in my lower back area. Um, that was super swollen back there. It took me a few weeks to even, um, be normal again back there, but, but I was okay. Um, but that didn't matter. Um, it just, that was the worst possible feeling in the world to me. Oh man. 
You know what? Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So it took took a while, man. Took a while to come back from that, and I'm still, as you can tell, like not not good. But you've done well, my friend. You really have. <laughs> Like, I want you to think about this for a second and just just yeah. take your mentality from that case, right? You've come back from that and went on to do amazing things. Yeah. That's impressive. That is that is really impressive. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was a it was a long road to to get through, and um, obviously it was uh, it was a class A mishap because we had um, uh, a death. And so that investigation got started and, you know, when I'm trying to take care of myself personally and have time off from work is when I had to go in and I had to give interviews and all this stuff. And, and it was, it was hard. It was a hard road for a third class to have to go through. And I didn't have any experience in any of this. And I had some, some guys in the shop that were really good. Um, to me like you know like drew drew was an amazing mentor and helped me through a lot of that stuff um and other guys and i got schism um like right when we got back so basically a c-130 had to come pick us up in atlantic city a day later with our our whole crew and um and so when we landed back in elizabeth city i remember like the co was there the, the chief for the shop and he was there the senior chief and then we just got pulled straight into a room for SISM and all I wanted to do at that point was go home and sleep and yeah. so that was that was hard for me to open up then um uh, and and fast forward you know 15 years later how long it's been is now I'm a SISM peer and so awesome. it's cool to get to get back uh, to guys that have kind of gone through similar things and um and I do things a little bit different you know what I mean it's I know from experience now that guys may not want to open up to you right away so it's a good tip and technique for any system peers out there that to just keep following up with your with your guys and your girls and and make sure a week later two weeks later month year that they're still doing okay because uh, a system is not just for right afterwards you know right because a lot of a lot of emotions can occur years later um and it's just how it goes no one can figure out the mind like that but uh that's kind of what happened about with uh with our pilot too is he he ended up getting pretty bad ptsd years later uh and retired out of there but um yeah, so it's just, and it, it still sticks with me and it did for a while. I had some, I had some other cases and, and even training events that sparked the, the emotions I had that night. Um, I had like a, a surf ops day in Oregon and we were, uh, doing directs and I was just, I was just the survivor in the water and a huge set came in. And I was in a dry suit and couldn't get under the wave when it, when it came through. And pretty much I went into a uh, tumble motion like I did that night. And I immediately 
went back to that moment of being tumbled and I, I freaked out and I gave, uh, the emergency signal to the, the crew. And I was just a survivor in the water. And I thought like, I was like, Oh man, I'm going to get some shit for giving this. And, and it's all good. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's what happens, you know, your brother's messing around with you and stuff like that. But, but I was like, I went right back to that night, Jason. And I was like, that's, that's how like PTSD works, man. It's like all of a sudden it's like, you're right back in that moment. And that's how I felt that day. Just, just on a training event. No, I was fine. I just like cut tumbled around in the waves and, and lost, like I uh, lost my mask, but I was, I was fine. It was, I could have swam to the beach and been all right, but for some reason, just it all hit me again. And so, so anyway, that's just crazy how that stuff works, but, but yeah, so I ended up going through the whole investigation for, for that case. And they, uh, when we landed in Atlantic city, the, the chi or the, some representative from the East city shop called Atlantic city and asked if they could go out and try to look for the quick splice. And they found it. And it was, uh, behind the LR 25, the life raft on the 60. So it was still on board, but it had fallen when he thought it fell out the cabin door. It, it had slid behind the raft in the corner back there under the starboard. So, and that's out of what, sight. You know, totally out of sight. So didn't you know. Hear, yeah. But, yep. but that's, that's hard to hear too. Cause then, you know, it was there but it was all, it was all done and nothing you can do about it then. So, but. Wow, Brad. My story, dude. Yeah. That is one hell of a story. I'll tell you what, man, and I'm going to say it again. You have gone on to do an incredible career with 20 years in the Coast Guard. Rescues and lives saved since then. Like you've done a, you've done an amazing job. Well yeah. done. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. I truly mean that. Like, this is not, I'm not boasting you right now. I'm, I, I truly mean that. You have risen way above. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have, you know, your brothers by your side and stuff like that. And I think that's just as good as therapy, you know, for having a close, close shop like that and close knit dudes. And it's the best best brotherhood you could ask for in this this job and totally love love all the guys i work with and you know i hope that one day if they go through the same thing that you know i can be there to help them out too and talk them through but yeah so it's, uh, it's funny when when drew was saying that you dream about having a case like that your your career you know when you're a young third you're so gung-ho about getting in the getting an opportunity to do something like that and heavy seas and all that stuff and after that night i was like i'm good i almost hung him up dude <laughs> no, i was sure. like i'm not even maybe i'm not even cut out to do this job dude and and uh it took me a while to kind of gain that confidence back and and yeah but it uh it was a road yeah you know, I'll, I'll say the same thing now that I said to Drew is like, you know, you want that as a third class, you want that third class to, or, or any of the guys, you want them to want that case. Like, I yeah. don't wish it on anybody. I certainly don't. 
But if no you way. don't have that mental drive, the 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 I want to go get it, then you'll have, you'll have quitters, and they won't. They're they're the ones that don't make it through summer school, hands down. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, just having the the mental strength to get through something like that, but also, you know, my job now is is on the sand team and uh, and a Ahars instructor is I use the what I learned from that case and, and all my other cases, you know, and I, I get to teach that to guys now that are, that are open ears, you know, and listening in class. And, and uh, I hope that what we teach out there can prevent something like that, you know, and then next young third class that I teach and he goes back to his home unit and he gets launched for a, a sailboat in distress and 40 foot surf. And then he's going to know, okay, you know, Let's not, let's give a little slash of the cable and let's let the waves take us, take the power of the waves underneath the helicopter as opposed to away. And, and it's just, yeah, it's good, it's good technique, but I, I hope that I can save a life by providing this information to, to young guys in the future by teaching this stuff now. And that's why being an ARS instructor is, yeah, it's the pinnacle of the career, man. You know, I was telling you earlier, it's just, there's no other better job to to teach what you've learned to these young guys. And, and they're so stoked to come out there and yeah. and learn and, and to get in those heavy seas. And it's a, it's a, it's a chaotic environment, but it's, it's controlled. You know, we're there, yes. we're, we're on the RWCs, the skis out there and, and we're ready to come pick someone up if, if there's a hoist jerk and stuff, but yeah, allowing guys to, and to push them to their limits out there is, is awesome. And I hope, hope that everybody has a chance to go to that school and because I had been before this case but it, it was it was weird like I I didn't think about that the night before uh, or that that night of the case of, of what we needed to do to prevent the cable from jerking you know I just I was thinking of the the timeline of events that I needed to do like okay I get this guy off put him in a basket yada 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 yeah. yeah, like the, the flight mech hadn't been to Ahars, the co-pilot hadn't been to Ahars. I think the pilot definitely had, but but sometimes pilots go in the beginning of their career and, and don't ever go and they could forget some of those techniques later on. So, but it's important, important stuff to learn and teach out there. That's my plug for Ahars. <laughs> Dude, I love it, man. Brad, that is one hell of a story. Wow. I can't thank you enough for for walking us through it and debriefing us with us that that's yeah. awesome like and you know i yeah thank you yeah yeah and technology has come a long way and now we're starting to implement the atlas which is a a different recovery device now for emergency and the urd's going to become a legacy and the atlas i've trained on here at atc and you're right it it has a battery control and you can still hoist up and down with it. So hopefully it'll prevent, prevent jerks in the future if you have to use it. But yeah. The aircraft I fly on now has a dual hoist. Just yeah. That and that's, there. that's another thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why doesn't Coast Guard have dual hoist? I don't know. Couldn't tell you, but that would have prevented everything that night too. So yeah. Yeah, man. Oh man. Deep breath, my friends. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, I let me uh 
Like, I don't, I don't even, I, I don't want to go qu- anywhere. I don't want to. <laughs> you haven't asked any questions about it either. So it's, if you no, I, I've been, I've questions. been engrossed, totally engrossed in the story. Um, like I, I get it. I, I, I haven't been in that same situation, so I can't relate entirely to you. Uh, I get the, you can't see anything with pitch black and, and all of a sudden you're just, you're just a bobber in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, that's hard because you can't see what's coming. Um, yep. Wow. Just wow. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Some of the things that, that let me, let me talk about this herd for a minute for those that yeah. don't quite understand. Um, and the, in the herd, when, when you're talking about the aircraft lowering down to as close as to the water, I actually remember training on that uh, when I was a young swimmer. You know, and all the flight mechanics, when they would get hoist qualified up in Kodiak, they had to use it. At one point or another mm-hmm. in their training, they had to use it. So at one point or another, yep. I was going to be on an ERD. It was just yep. it was going to happen. And I specifically remember them coming down to like landing gear almost in the water, you know, getting as yep. close as they possibly could. I don't know if that was ever even talked about in 40-foot seas. Like the wow. idea and the training, like, and, and I can see this too, because, and we do this, I'm guilty myself, where you start training something in a very benign environment. You're like, wow, this is a great idea. This is going to work great. Mm-hmm. Right up until you put it in 40 foot seas. Exactly. You're like, ooh, you know? Yeah. I, I can I can think of actually, because you're on stand team, I'm going to pick on stand team for a minute. Yeah, do it. <laughs> While I was in Kodiak, like there was, there was gear that would come out and and I know stand team would test it, but it wouldn't work in Kodiak. Like whatever it was, it was like nobody thought about freezing ass cold weather in the middle of a mountain yeah. in the middle of nowhere. And oh yeah, by the way, that doesn't yeah. work. I'm like, oh yeah. So yeah. you know, it's that outside. It's like the idea, hey, let's let's do a quick fix or something. And then mm-hmm. anyway, I like the conversation piece. I like I like how that comes up. So yeah. And yeah, to my knowledge, they've never had to use it again operationally. And and even during training, so it used to be probably when you were in, we had the double pre-sick knot yeah, that yep. was on, on the pulley up there. And that, that was what held as your safety line in case you got jerked. It would, that would snag just as you would use that for like a ropes rescue belay system, yeah. a double pre-sick knot. Um, yeah. So that, that failed on a training flight. I want to say maybe Claude Morrissey. Um, <laughs> Mighty yeah. Claude. <laughs> yeah. So a beast of a man. So they had to figure out another method. Um, and that's when that kind of like Petzl traction pulley came out. Um, but even then, since you've been out, we don't do any more live body urge. It's all with a dummy because I think it failed on another occasion during a training environment too. And so they went ahead and just X'd it that we don't do any more live urge. So um, that's the thing. It's yeah if you don't train for it you may not know what's gonna happen on a real real night you know so yeah I, i've always been a big component of training the way you fight and if yeah. something happens that's that's when you're gonna know like okay we need to fix this or because you're never gonna have a a mishap happen when you're putting oscar on the end of a, a line like that and coming down to five feet and picking him up and hoist him in the cabin it right. teaches the procedure to flight max but not all the ifs ands or buts so it's 
Yeah. It's not when you until you put it in that situation, you're going to find out that this is a horrible device <laughs> to, to use 40 foot seas. Can you what throw me a rope ladder or something? Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. I, I'm sorry that happened to you, brother. I really am. But yeah. You know, my, and I, I'll say it again my hat's off. 20 years you are, you're in the Coast Guard. That's pretty badass. Thanks, brother. Yeah, it's been a heck of a good ride, dude. And I've had, you know, you reading those other cases too. I had some great cases out there. Um, but it's always the, yeah, it's the, the rough ones that stick with you, you know. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, there's been a number of those, but but it doesn't doesn't put a shadow or dark cloud over the the career and it's it's been been an awesome awesome career man so stoked i i did this route when i was 21 you know yeah me too yeah <laughs> oh yeah. man well i'll tell you what to... dude before i let you go on a positive note or whatever yeah. you want to you want to leave that like a happy feeling either i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it up to you one of two things either yeah a, Leave us with a, a funny story, something that happened to you, uh, mm-hmm. and then and then throw in your advice that you would pass on to everybody else. Just before I let you go, <laughs> funny story. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, just being in the the office or the the shops every day, just get to hang out with the best dudes in the world, man. There's yeah, there's so many good good stories out there. I can't really think of one. Probably. Uh, I'll tell a funny story that happened in East City one time. So we used to try to just scare people all the time. So you'd have your days cruise and nights cruise come in. Okay. And uh, so I decided we had this big Vidmar drawer that had all the C-130 O2 masks that were all piled in there, all different sets. Well, I took them all out and put them, put them elsewhere in the corner of the shop. And I was going to get in this, I could fit into this drawer and we were going to wait for Mike Ackerman to come in on nights. And the guys were going to say, hey, Mike, can, do you mind grabbing me an O2 mask out of there? And I was just going to be in there and scare the heck, heck out of him, you know. And it was going to be great. We were so excited. Well, I get in there. And at that time, the CO, Admiral, XO, all these dudes came and strolled in our shop for a tour. And I'm in this Vidmar and I remember, I think it was Jeremiah Losher that was like, he came over and whispered and he's like, don't freaking move. He's like, don't say anything. Don't move because there's admirals in here right now. And I was like, oh God. And there, I could hear him talking and I'm just in this Vidmar, like scrunched up, can hardly move in there, have no space, running out of air. And so they start messing with me so they they start grabbing cups of water and opening up the vidmar that's above me and they're reaching down behind the drawer and starting to dump water on me <laughs> while i'm in there and uh and i'm like god damn it, you guys stop and they're like shh don't say anything <laughs> and so we had to we had to wait till the admirals left and i didn't even get to scare ackerman it was such a waste of time but anyway that's my funny story about oh my god sh- that's awesome the shenanigans that go on on ast shop but um <laughs> there's there's tons uh, of stuff good good stuff but uh, the admirals never knew i was down there which is good um, they do now <laughs> they, yeah they do now 
But yeah, if you ever were in East City back then taking a tour of the AST shop, there was a guy hanging out in the bit line. Um, <laughs> gosh, man. I would say advice for for young swimmers and stuff, man. Just just kind of like where this conversation went. Take care of yourself. You know, take care of yourself physically. You know, obviously we work out a lot and we keep our bodies healthy, but uh, mentally too. Keep yourself mentally strong and mentally fit. Um, and whatever you do to help you out by doing that, you know, find find your avenue. And everybody's a little bit different, you know. But um, and if you need help, get help because get help, get help. My email is out. Get in touch yeah. with me. Yeah, I know Brad right here is to get in touch with him. Yeah, I'm a citizen peer. I mean that that doesn't mean anything. You can talk to really anybody, but um, yeah, if you've got a rough case and want to talk about it, or you just want to have something on your mind, talk about it. But, but otherwise, it's going to stick with you, and it's it's going to haunt you, and it's going to come out one day. And um, yeah, just take care of yourself physically and mentally. That's that's my advice I'll give you. But uh, yeah, and the brotherhood's awesome, and and they'll help you out with that too. So love it, man. Love it. Thanks for having me on, Quinny. Man, this has been fun. Brad, this has been a blast. Uh, I know we've yeah. been like emotions of of every aspect of this, and and thank you yeah. for sharing. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's it's awesome. Um, yeah, I look forward to. I'm gonna call you when I get back to the states, and and we're going to get a beer for sure. Heck yeah, man. Yeah, come out to Ahars and come hang out with the crew up there. We'll get you on the back don't, of the ski or something. Don't tease me. Uh, I might. Yeah. <laughs> you just sent cool. me the dates. I just might show up. <laughs> All right. Let's do it, man. Dude, I love it. Thanks, brother. I'll see you later. Yeah. And with that, right, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Go. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>